The WBEN All Local. All Local. A daily look at what's happening in Buffalo, Western New York, and the world. I'm Susan Rose. I'm Brian Mesrowski. After being shown plans once again, what are Buffalo residents saying about the project to cover a portion of the 33? WBEN's Max Ferry has the latest. The New York State Department of Transportation got an earful from the Buffalo community on Wednesday at the Buffalo Museum of Science with questions on the billion-dollar Kensington project. Many groups of residents and activists believe that the goal of the project is not going to live up to the full potential $1 billion could buy, the goal being to reconnect the East Buffalo community that has been divided by the highway for decades and restore the city with green space on top of a partial 0.8-mile Kensington covering. I mean, it's 20 2023 and we're talking about reconnecting communities as if reconnecting communities just means like putting up bridges and creating green space when that that really isn't a good way to reconnect the community with a billion dollars we could um, improve the community and reconnect the community in a more cohesive way. Taniqua Simmons, Humboldt Parkway resident. Hear the full remarks of the Buffalo community at WBEN.com. Max Ferry, WBEN.com News. All right, Max, thank you. And uh, your thoughts, 803-0930 on our text board throughout the morning here on WBEN. Seven Republican presidential hopefuls battling it out in their second debate on Wednesday night. Trump, again, did not attend. With the exception of Chris Christie and Ron DeSantis, most of the candidates avoided talking about the elephant who was not in the room, Donald Trump. He's so popular among Republican voters and attacking him can be risky. The University of Michigan Director of Debate, Aaron Call, who was here, says if the other candidates want to have any chance of gaining on Trump, they've got to take him on, which they seem afraid to do. They need to realize that the target is the frontrunner that's not here that's ahead by 30 to 40 points. Alex Stone, ABC News of the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in Simi Valley, California. All right, more highlights from last night's debate coming up this morning. The nation is inching closer to a government shutdown as a partisan stalemate is hindering efforts to pass a government funding bill. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is trying to get Republicans to work together to pass their own short-term funding bill. He says they're hoping to vote soon on legislation that would make deep cuts to federal funding and strengthen border security. We're bringing up on Friday ability to fund the government, but at the same time secure our border. So yes, we're doing our job. But even that's not guaranteed to pass in the House because not all Republicans support it, like Congressman Andy Ogles. As of right now, I'm a no. And if they do pass it, the bill is likely to fail in the Democrat majority Senate. The only way out of a shutdown is bipartisanship. That's Hannah Brandt reporting the government will run out of money by Sunday morning. All right. The first hearing in the GOP's impeachment inquiry of President Biden begins today. Republicans allege the president has lied to the country when he said that he's had nothing to do with his son's or brother's business. Instead, Republicans argue Joe Biden allowed his family members to peddle their perceived influence on him and on U.S. policy to foreign clients. The White House flatly rejects any financial tie to the president directly and calls the impeachment inquiry a political stunt. The GOP witnesses for this first hearing will include a forensic accountant and a former federal tax prosecutor who will lay out how they believe the Biden relatives may have violated the law. That's Stephen Portnoy. We'll be talking with him about this impeachment inquiry coming up later on this morning. Is Western New York in for a political shuffle with rumors swirling about the future of many politicians who have been in office for over a decade? WBEN's Brayton Wilson takes a look and speaks with one of those rumored names 
about his future. Local political analysts have been monitoring speculations for some time surrounding the futures of Buffalo Mayor Byron Brown as well as Congressman Brian Higgins in office and feel the rumors may be getting a little more focused as of late. Ken Cruley from politicsandstuff.com admits he doesn't know that anybody has a definitive answer on either Brown or Higgins because there's a lot of moving parts to all of this. This is especially the case for the opening at president at SUNY Buffalo State. Not only does the uh, Buff State Search Committee for the president's job have to sign off on it and they're not aware that they've acted on it, but it would also have to go to uh, SUNY and Albany for a review. So that could take a little while, but that's not going to stop the speculation. It's churning a lot these days. Republican strategist Carl Calabri says political ramifications for publicans would be pretty much non-existent in the city of Buffalo, but believes there may be a legitimate shot if the congressional seat for NY26 were to open up. It's a Democrat seat in terms of enrollment, but if it was an open seat without an incumbent congressman there, that might prompt some good candidates to come out and take a shot at an open seat and maybe make for a competitive race. That would certainly be more doable than winning the mayor of the city of Buffalo. One name that has been mentioned in the past as a potential candidate to either serve Congress or become the next mayor of Buffalo is current state Senator Tim Kennedy. I'm proud of the work that we've done as a community, that we've done as an office, and that I've helped to spearhead in delivering results for our community. And we're going to keep doing the work that I've been doing for the last nearly two decades in public service, regardless of what level of government that I'm at. Brayton Wilson, WBEN.com News. All right, Brayton, thank you. WBEN News Time now, 5.07. Well, we have an update on Bruce Springsteen's tour. He may be tougher than the rest, but Bruce Springsteen is postponing the rest of his 2023 tour because of health issues. He's recovering from peptic ulcer disease, and we're told in a post on social media that his doctors have him continuing treatment through the rest of the year. He says he's on the mend and can't wait to see fans next year. Okay, Springsteen uh, canceled two shows in Syracuse and Albany earlier this month, so hoping those get rescheduled sometime in the future because we know how people travel. I'm sure there's a lot of people in western New York we're planning on heading out there. I would think so. Controversial NFL quarterback Colin Kaepernick reportedly making a new push to return to the league, making the case for one beleaguered team that could be their missing piece. Here's Rihanna Nally. In a letter to the New York Jets, dated 10 days after quarterback Aaron Rodgers suffered a season-ending injury, Kaepernick requests he be added to the Jets practice squad, writing, worst case scenario, you see what I have to offer and you're not that impressed. Best case scenario, you realize you have a real weapon at your disposal. Kaepernick last played in the NFL in 2016. All right, on a practice squad, players with two or more accrued seasons make a minimum of $15,400 per week and $277,200 for the whole season. Excuse me? Yeah. I, um, listen, I love it here, but I would also like to tell the, and I love the Bills, I would also like to tell the New York Jets that I would be willing to work on your practice squad. Um, for I've also haven't played in the NFL in the last six years at all. Uh, but you know what? You're maybe equally uh... at you know <laughs> over ten thousand dollars a week. I think I can make the sacrifice and uh, move over there. Let wow. me know if you're interested. You know where to find me. Just to be on the practice squad. <laughs> I yeah, I'd make a push to return to the league too. <laughs> <laughs> with those uh, numbers, I had, I had no idea it was that lucrative. Right? Uh, you think, but you, you, I guess you gotta you gotta pay the people who keep you in shape. Those personal trainers aren't cheap. 
I guess that's it. Um, maybe that is uh, the part. Delta Airlines changing its frequent flyer program again. It's an about face from Delta Airlines. <laughs> the company was met with backlash from customers after announcing tougher thresholds to achieve status in its frequent flyer program. Two weeks ago, announcing starting in 2025, it would base status purely on spending instead of also counting the number of flights. Delta also saying it would limit airport club access for holders of Delta credit cards. Delta CEO now admits they went a bit too far and says the airline will announce updates sometime over the next few weeks. No word on what the new tweaks will be. Lionel Moyes, ABC News. Yeah, don't you hate that? It doesn't seem that the airlines are changing rules all the time. Especially I, when it comes to I hate rewards. how they make it so hard to right. cash in for, I, it's not even like a frequent flyer thing. It's if you have a credit right. to, you know, from a canceled flight or something, you have to, it's not just posted to your account, even though they know your account and all that info, like it should be. No, you have to like dig in to an email from whenever that flight happened and, was, and look up this long number and hopefully you still have that email because then you got to plug that number right. in. They make it so hard. They hope that you don't go to that trouble. It is crazy. How about you fix that and then people will be happy. And then, you yeah. know, instead of making these changes, you have to right. go back on, right, uh, less than a few weeks later. Uh, change in Delta. I heard a lot of people complaining about it. When I saw the complaints, I was like, this does not impact me at all <laughs> i'm not a right. frequent uh flyer on no. any airline are, are a lot of people do you think or do most people just kind of if you're flying well, maybe once a year tops do you just go with whatever cheap flight you find i feel like that's probably, the majority of people right but then there's the rewards like if you have one of the airline's credit cards yeah that i think a lot more people are that part of that crowd if i have your credit card i want to be in your lounge yeah. That's I, right. I want to be and uh, I want to be able to fly when I want to fly. Yeah, absolutely. And use my points. That's uh, the whole idea, right? Yeah. Well, you would think uh, it's, it's our idea. Might not be theirs. Your exclusive WBEN seven weather forecast: partly to mostly cloudy skies today. Uh, temperatures will be in the low seventies this afternoon. Tonight, mostly cloudy with a few showers. Overnight lows in the low fifties. Some early showers on Friday can wait to sunshine with highs in the mid-70s. With your exclusive WBEN 7 weather forecast, I'm Chief Meteorologist Aaron Minkowski. Michael Cornell, we're taking a look at high schools throughout western New York and some perhaps troubling situations at high school football games. Michael Cornell, president of the Erie Niagara Superintendents Association, is with us right now uh, to take a look at it. Uh, we've had a number of incidents. It's not just one district, uh, one area. It's all across western New York. It's uh, sometimes on the field between players. It's sometimes in the stands with uh, fans that we've heard of fights, sometimes getting out of control and causing games to be postponed, delayed, canceled, played without fans, and things like that. It seems like this year, in the first few weeks of the season, more than we've ever had before. Does it just seem like it? Are we really seeing more than we ever have before, Michael? Uh, good morning to you guys. Um, you know, I, I think, it, while I think it's more prevalent this year, I think it's important to recognize that things like this are still pretty rare. You know, we have hundreds of of interscholastic athletic events a week. Uh, we have great kids in our schools, and when they're there to compete, they're there to compete and respect their teammates. And when, when their fans are there to watch their their friends play, they're there to do that. So these things are rare, although the, the recent 
uh, couple that we've had are uh, obviously notable and concerning, um, you know, because the school leaders is a few things that we have in mind when we think about interscholastic athletics. Uh, first and foremost, the, the activities have to happen safely. Um, you know, and great credit to the game officials and school staff who are at these events where these things happen. They were able to keep what was a difficult situation from becoming a dangerous public safety situation. So great credit to the to the administrators and teachers and teacher aides and everybody else who's doing security at those events. What um, is the other thing that, that raised? Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I'm sorry. I was just wondering, yeah, what has happened to civility today? Have you noticed that? Well, as I listened to some of your reporting earlier today about shoplifting and, and Target stores closing, um, you know, I, I, that's a broader question, uh, maybe a bit above my pay grade as a school superintendent. But, um, you know, there does seem to be a bit of a, of a coarsening of society out there. And it's almost interesting. In, in some respects, people are nicer and kinder and more accepting and more loving than they've ever been before. And then on the other hand, you've got, uh, you know, I, what I think is a subset of the population whose maybe antisocial behavior has become a little bit more pronounced. And, you know, maybe there's a little bit more of a boldness in terms of expressing that that kind of antisocial behavior in the world. But, um, you know, I, I try not to um, let those examples of, of, you know, truly antisocial, negative and, and hurtful behavior um, overtake my belief that people are generally loving and good and, and, and want to do right by people around them. When you mention antisocial behavior, you have uh, some people saying, well, this is the result of a couple of years of keeping kids away from each other. They've forgotten how to interact socially, and they might have already been forgetting with, you know, everyone with a phone in their hands and uh, things like that. But uh, it's really been expedited over the past couple of years with school closures and, you know, everything that we don't need to necessarily get into now. And I think a lot of people would say, okay, that's true, but... it can't just be that, right? It can't just be that we've forgotten. There has to be something else maybe that's that's missing here that's causing kids to act out this way. I, I'm going to say, to some degree, you know, you're right. It's never any one thing. Um, you know, school districts across the region and, and every school leader and, and parents in schools um, are always emphasizing and supporting positive behaviors among students, broadly promoting cultures of kindness and positive character. That those are really important parts of life in, in every school across the region. Uh, but specifically, you know, education-based athletics is is not about scholarships and championships. I think to some degree we've forgotten what we're doing when we're doing education-based athletics. We have to remember why we fund these things through the school budget. We fund them because it's about learning. If we weren't, if it wasn't about learning, we would not fund them through the the general fund budget of a school district. So, what what are these activities designed to help kids learn? Be good teammates, work hard, respect the game we play, respect your opponent, accept the outcome. Um, that's why we fund education-based athletics through a budget. It's not so kids can get scholarships, and it's not to go out and win championships. Now, those things happen. You know, those are potential outcomes, but they are not the reason we play. And I think a part of what's happening in high school sports, even at the varsity level, those are learning opportunities. 
I think we've forgotten why we play sports in school. And, you know, that's why you see, you know, parents get non-officials and then kids see their parents get on officials and they think that's what they should be doing when they're on the sidelines. I mean, let's not forget, these kids made a bad choice. You know, if you leave the bench or you leave the box area on a sideline and go participate in a shoving match, you're going to be ejected from the game. You're going to be suspended for the next game. That's what the Section 6 rule is. What the superintendents did in this case was, you know, the section didn't didn't enforce the rule. Maybe the schools beat them to the punch. But the reality of it is that's the rule. That's the standard behavior and the expectation if you don't meet it. And the superintendents and the boards of education in Chictawaga and Kenton did exactly the right thing by setting a standard of behavior for their athletes, which sets an example for the school community that certain behaviors at a, you know, at a school event, whether it's a football game or something else, that are simply not going to be tolerated. So districts are calling this out, this behavior, and zero tolerance is really the only answer. Well, I, I, I always hesitate to use the term zero tolerance. I mean, they're 14, 15, 16-year-old kids. They're not, they're, they're not bad kids. They're kids who made a bad choice. So you got to strike the right balance between helping them understand what the standard of behavior is, giving them a consequence so that they can use this mistake as a learning opportunity and do better next time. So, you know, I think it, I think the consequence that they assigned to their respective teams, A, took courage, uh, and B, strikes just the right balance between making sure they understand what the standard of behavior is and giving them a little bit of grace because they're 15, 16, 17-year-old kids who made a mistake. We need to help them learn from it. Yeah, you know, to that last point, uh, the way, uh, it's kind of striking me here as we're talking about it. I'm kind of going, uh, wait a second, this has always happened, right? You know, you know, uh, fights or skirmishes, uh, shoving matches on the field between players. It's always been there. I coached football as a high school teacher at Kemmer West High School. Not well, but I loved every minute of it. Um, you know, I've been around education-based athletics since my childhood and for my entire professional career. And some of those little skirmishes are somewhat part and parcel. It'll happen uh, but generally speaking, coaches and, and, and officials do a great job of getting in the middle of it and, and separating it out, letting the game continue. Um, but I, I think it's becoming more and more difficult to help our young people understand exactly why we're playing the game, right? We're not in the NFL. You know, we're not playing in the Southeastern Conference. We're playing high school sports between Kenmore and Chikawaga. It's a learning experience. And we have to remember why we're there. And and I would say this to parents, and I'm Far be it for me to give parenting advice. There's no Father of the Year award on my mantle. But, you know, if you're an adult who's responsible for a young person who plays education-based athletics for our schools, you know, please remind your children why we're there to play. It's about learning. It's about being a great teammate, working hard, respect the game, respect your opponent, accept the outcome. We're not there to, to start fights and, and you know, sh- show up in a way uh, that puts your team at a disadvantage in that way. Michael, thank you. Thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Good to see you. Or good to talk to you this morning. That's the WBEN All Local. All new episodes are made available each weekday morning. Produced by the award-winning WBEN Newsroom.